In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajjal farajahum. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We were discussing the manners of the ideal learner in Islam and the ones that we covered the last time we met had to do with listening and with critical thinking. For listening, we said that some of the highlights are that listening is a craft, a science, an art that has to be learned, just like one would learn how to speak properly. There is an effort, there is an intent and an effort and a dedication required to learn how to become a good and optimal listener. And we said, when we go back through the narrations, through the traditions, the Holy Prophet ﷺ in multiple narrations as well as the Imams have said that the that the process of knowledge begins with silence, with learning to be quiet, and then this is followed by learning to listen. So the first stage, the first step in the process of knowledge is silence, and then it is followed by listening. And then much later in the process do we get to talking and to spreading that knowledge and answering questions and so on and so forth. So that, I think these were, that would be a high level summary of what we spoke about concerning listening. And we said, inshallah, we will come back to the topic of listening just to reiterate and summarize a number of books uh, and, and just share some book titles that we have that are perhaps relevant to those who are interested in looking a little bit more into listening. Insha'Allah, we'll do that a little bit later. The second ingredient or the second manner that we looked at concerning the manners of the ideal learner was critical thinking. And as you will remember, insha'Allah, we focused on a hadith, a narration, a tradition from Prophet Jesus, Prophet Isa salam, in which he was saying that to be a good learner, one uh, has to be someone who accepts the truth from people of falsehood, but rejects falsehood from the people of truth. And so we spent a good amount of time discussing this. Inshallah, it was clear. This is just a, a quick reminder. And we said that even those points in these ahadith, they very much align with what we have been talking about all along in our series and how we have to be objective and we have to seek the knowledge and the truth wherever we may find it, even though it may be with the people of falsehood. But the issue, the new, the novelty in this hadith is on the other side, we have to learn how to reject the truth from people of falsehood. And we saw in that hadith that he was saying this is not an easy process to do. We have to acquire the tools to become experts. As Prophet Isa, the image السلام, that he was giving was as though you're looking at two coins. One of them is really a silver coin 
and the other one has been plated with silver, painted with silver, but it is not a silver coin, and only the one who is an expert is able to tell them apart. And so is knowledge, that sometimes because things are coated, they are uh, enveloped, they are uh, presented with a package of verses of the Qur'an and Islamic terminology and so on and so forth, it may look like something is the truth or aligns with the truth. And so to be able to tell those apart has to be part of your general uh, equipment and general tools and general instruments as a learner to be able to tell apart truth from falsehood. But this requires expertise, this requires practice and uh, being well immersed in this kind of environment to be able to tell them apart. So this is what we covered until now and inshallah today we continue with a new heading and this heading is that of asking. And we could spend a few lectures on asking but inshallah we'll go fast. I think the points will be clear as we go through them. But it is I think another one of those headings that may look like they are simple uh, and then when we look into it, we see that there are many nuances and many of them have been highlighted to us in the narrations and the traditions. So the topic of asking, we've actually touched on it already in the, in the series, but from another angle. What we focused on earlier is, the, yes, the importance of asking, the benefits of asking, and also the link between asking and our internal state that... You have to have the modesty, the humility to take the initiative and ask the question. Otherwise, you're never going to learn, right? And we saw that the Holy Prophet says you are going to be rewarded for being the one who initiates and the benefits of that question are not going to be limited to you. The person who asks, the person who answers, the person who listens to them and the person who loves them are all going to be rewarded and therefore benefiting from that knowledge that was triggered by the initiative of asking. So we spoke about all of that, inshallah, today we're going to start looking at asking for more, let's say, practical considerations. Okay, so we've already established the importance of asking, so I'll start with a hadith to remind us of the importance of asking, kind of as a refresher, to, to connect it, to link it back to what we said, and then we'll build on it to look at the other side. So until now we've encouraged We've said one must have the humility and the modesty and the initiative to ask. Now we want to look at the other side, which is, but we also have a lot of traditions and a lot of narrations that tell us, don't ask too much. Don't ask too many questions. Don't ask foolish questions, and so on and so forth. So today, inshallah, we're going to start that process of looking at the nuances, the subtleties around asking. And so the first thing that jumps to mind again, just like the, the heading of listening, is that asking is also something to be learned. This is also a craft and a science and an art, call it whatever you want, that is going to require intent, that's going to require purpose, and the more you practice it and you practice it well, the better you get at asking. And we're going to see that there is an encouragement, there is a, an incentive to ask and ask the right questions in the right way. Okay, so we're going to see that, yes, when we ask questions, this is what will allow us to reach an understanding. We spoke about that. We're going to see that, however, the 
questions that we ask, we have to ensure, and so this is the theme, inshallah, that you're starting to see throughout everything we talk about in our religion, the theme of sincerity, the theme of the intent. What is the intent behind the question? Why are you asking this question? What is the true intent behind it? Okay, so that's going to be a, an important or major factor in the success of the ask, in the success of the question. That's one. We're also going to see that it is going, alaykum salam wa rahmatullah. Because sometimes people ask questions with the intent, for instance, of being stubborn and being obstinate and engaging in a polemic. Or they ask a question to show off. Or I ask a question to show that this person does not know how to answer it. And therefore, they are not as knowledgeable as they may seem. Or I ask a question to show that just the manner in which I ask it to show how much I have knowledge. And therefore, I can ask a question like that. Right? So, or to show that I have more knowledge than the person who may be asked a question from the manner in which I ask my question, and so on and so forth. So all of this falls under the general heading of the intent behind asking the question. Okay? So, yes, we're going to see that clearly there is a skill, a skill set that goes with learning how to ask the proper question in the right way, at the right time, from the right person, and so on and so forth. But we're going to see in the ahadith, inshallah, today we can make it to uh, reach uh, those topics. But we're going to see that not everything that can be known should be known. Not everything that can be known should be asked about. We're going to see that as being a theme in our religion. That's one. Secondly, there's a lot of things that we could know, but they're not relevant and they're not really useful for us. So should we be engaging in that type of uh, knowledge-seeking or, or question-asking about things that may perhaps not be so relevant or so useful to us? Okay, and then finally, we're going to see that very clearly we have instructions to ensure that when you ask a question that it's not going to cause more trouble or potentially more burden or more harm than good. And that can go in different ways. First of all, there's information that you should probably not have. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not want you to have that information. And so when you go out of your way to try to get that information, you're probably creating an unnecessary burden and responsibility upon yourself that was not initially intended for you to have. But now you're going out of your way to get it. Now it's part of your responsibility because you went to seek it, going out of your way to seek it. Okay, so we're going to see the hadith around that. Uh, and at the same time, we see that sometimes it causes an undue burden on the person answering. This is not the proper time, or the person can only take so much. They can, you know, it's logical to ask them five questions, not 50. Okay, and so this has a whole domino effect too. And so we're going to see some hadith around that too. We're going to start here, and we're going to see more when we get to the topic of the scholar. And the rights and the privileges and the responsibilities of the scholar. We'll talk a little bit about that too. Okay, so clearly there's also manners and, and etiquettes around asking. Including, for instance, when you want to ask, but you're not the only one. There are other people who should go first. And you respect the order or, you know, it's first come, first serve, or how does it work? We'll see some hadith related to the even the etiquette of asking questions. Okay, so... The first hadith, as we said, is kind of a reminder that uh, regardless of everything that we're going to say, clearly there is a huge incentive 
and a huge encouragement in our religion to ask questions. So we begin with that just to establish the base and then we'll go on the other side. So this hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, أُوصِيكُمْ بِخَمْسٍ لَوْ ضَرَبْتُمْ إِلَيْهَا آبَاطَ الْإِبِلْ لَكَانَتْ لِذَلِكَ أَهْلَ He says, I'm going to give you five pieces of advice. If you were to hit the armpits of your camels in order to seek them, it would be, it would be worthy of it. So what does that mean? This is an image. I'm translating intentionally. I'm translating it literally. It, when you use your camel, it means you're traveling. And when you hit the armpit of the camel, it's, it's to make it go a lot faster, to make it run. So the imam is saying, if you had to travel far and wide and to exhaust your camels in getting there, so you travel far and you travel fast, right? So there's an urgency there. If you had to do that just to acquire one of these pieces of advice, it would, be, it would be worthy of it. I'm going to give you all five of them, the imam says. So he says, لَا يَرْجُوَنَّ أَحَدٌ مِنْكُمْ إِلَّا رَبَّهِ Do not hope in anyone except God, except his Lord. One should not hope for anyone except his Lord. That's the first piece of advice. And this has multiple meanings. The first one can mean that ensure, and I'm going to say it in a few words, but this is a philosophy of life and this is the entire philosophy of our religion, that whatever you do, you do it for the sake of God. Your hope, your aspiration, your objective, your goal in life is God. So he begins with the core of the religion, the deepest part of our religion, the truest part of our religion. Everything else derives from this. Everything you do, the hope, the goal, the objective is God. There's another way to understand this, which is, therefore, do not ask anyone except God. If you have a hope, if you have a, an ask, if you have a request, if you have a need, you want to get it somewhere, where is your hope? A lot of us, our hope is in ourselves, in our capabilities, in our power, that we are going to go exert effort and action and get it. And we may forget about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or we think that someone is going to help us or something is going to help us. When in truth, and that's why we say, this is the core of our religion. This is the tawheed, right? That everything that is happening is happening through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Has he willed it or not? Does he want it to happen or not? Your ultimate hope is through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put means in place to acquire, to achieve, to attain the things you're looking for. You can't forget about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that equation and just focus on the, the intermediaries, the means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put, they don't control anything. They are just means in a chain. But that chain is entirely controlled by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? So, do not degrade yourself, therefore, by asking from anyone else except from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what the imam is saying. So on one side, we can look at it as what's your objective? What's your ultimate objective in everything you do? When he says, that, That's an absolute, that's a universal that the Imam says. In everything, make your goal, your aspiration, your hope, God. And the corollary to that is therefore do not degrade yourself by going to another. 
Make all of your hope only in God. And you will never be degraded. You'll always be dignified. This is a creature with their creator, with their Lord, with their master. There's no degradation there. When you go to another creature like you, and you have aspirations and hopes there, then that's a degradation. Okay? So that's the first piece of advice. The Imam says, لا أحد منكم إلا ربه ولا يخافن إلا ذنبه And let no one fear anything except their sin, except his sin or her sin. So, Again, there, this is something that can have more than one meaning. Here the imam is saying there is nothing to be feared except sinning, except committing a sin. So on the one side we would say here, be brave. There is nothing that is worthy of being feared. Do not fear anything unless the one thing that is worthy of being feared, which is the sin. So there is a call to courage and bravery, and on the other side, there's also a warning that if there is one thing to be feared, it is sinning. It is your sin. Be fearful. Be fearful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Be fearful of disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the second piece of advice. The third. Then the imam says, And let not anyone be ashamed if they are asked about that which they do not have any knowledge to say, I do not know. Okay, the imam is very specific here. It's very difficult to be in that situation, especially if people have a certain expectation of you that you should know. You have to be able to say, I do not know. I don't have sufficient knowledge about this. And the imam is going to add something to it later in another hadith. So it's not only that you know when you, we say you know, it means you know with certainty. You have full knowledge of it so that you are sure of your answer and you can answer. Otherwise, don't answer. You don't need to. Say, I do not know. And then he adds to this, وَلَا يَسْتَحْيَنَّ أَحَدٌ إِذَا لَمْ يَعْلَمِ الشَّيْءَ أَنْ يتعلم. So in the first case, don't be shy. Don't be too embarrassed to say, I do not know. In the second case, the imam says, and if you do not know something, don't be ashamed, don't be embarrassed to go and learn it. And this is the point here. Okay? And that learning is not going to take place except with or through questions. And then he adds, وَعَلَيْكُمْ بِالصَّبْرِ فَإِنَّ الصَّبْرَ مِنَ الْإِيمَانِ كَالْرَأْسِ مِنَ الْجَسَدِ And I advise you to hold fast to patience. For, and then he explains the position of patience from religion. He says, because... Patience from religion is like the head from the body. There is no good from a body which has no head. Just like there is no good from a faith, from a belief, from a religion in which there is no patience. So this is an, an emphasis, an underlining of the imam of the role or the importance of this ingredient in our faith system, in our worldview. That patience is in the middle of it all. To the point that the Imam says it's the equivalent of the head, the position of the head in a body. Okay? So that's the first hadith. So this is simply to remind us, to highlight the importance of asking. So we're not saying asking is not good or stop asking. Okay? Now that this is established, however. Okay. So the first part is to emphasize that asking is an art. 
It's a science. It's a craft. It's something that you work on to perfect, to learn how to ask properly. First hadith from the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he says, So these are quick pieces of advice from the Holy Prophet ﷺ. We're not going to comment. Each one of these would deserve a lecture. Okay, To endear yourself to people is half of reason. To make yourself someone that people hold dear. They like you. Okay, you act in a way so that people like you. You endear yourself to people. The Holy Prophet says, this is half of reason. To say someone has reason, this is someone who knows how to conduct themselves socially with people so that they are liked. And this is a, have, has a huge, you know, huge ramifications. As someone who is a good Muslim, you're trying to have a positive effect in the world. You cannot have a positive effect in the world if you are someone that people despise and they want to stay away from. You can't really do much in the world alone. You have to work with people. You have to conduct yourself in a way that endears you to the people so that you can multiply or amplify your effects in the world. Okay? And you don't cause undue uh, problems or barriers or issues to yourself by not doing this. Okay? So that's the first. The second one, the second piece of advice, which is the one relevant to us here, he says, وَحُسْنُ السُّؤَالِ نِصْفُ الْعِلْمِ To learn how to ask questions well, to master the art of asking the question, is half of knowledge. Everything that you know is divided into the stuff that you're going to go out of your way to acquire, which means you're doing it by asking. You have to know how to ask the question. The other half may come to you without you having to do that. But half of it you're going to go out of your way to get. So learn how to get it. And this starts with knowing how to ask and the details that we're going to see in the other ahadith. Okay, this is why we say, when the Holy Prophet says this, this is a clear indication that therefore asking is not as trivial or as easy as it may seem. Otherwise, everybody would already possess half of knowledge. Right? And the last piece, the Holy Prophet says, To exercise economy in spending. So that when you spend, you spend with economy, with restraint. This is half of livelihood. We think that you to live well is only equal to constantly acquiring more and having more to spend. The Holy Prophet says, no, this is only half of it. The other half is knowing when not to spend or to spend with wisdom, with judgment and with restraint. That is half of livelihood. The other half is go and acquire the wealth you need to spend. But the other half is not spending, being wise about how you spend. Okay, so the importance of managing your money. The next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam. So this is a much longer hadith. We'll just take the part that is relevant to us. He says, فَقَالَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ إِذَا سَأَلَ سَائِلٌ فَلْيَعْقَلْ وَإِذَا سُئِلَ And one hadith says, وَإِذَا سُئِلَ مَسْؤُولٌ فَلْيَتَتَبَّدْ So let the one who is asking a question understand the answer. Make sure that when you ask, make sure that you understand the answer that was given. Don't let it go to waste. 
you had the initiative, you put in the, pa- the effort, the deed, the energy to ask the question, make sure that the answer is not wasted, that you really truly understand the answer that was given, which can also mean make sure that you understand the answer fully. And this, I would say, applies much more. It applies to everything, but much more to someone who's in a position, for instance, of asking the imams. When they would go and ask a question from an imam, make sure that you understand everything the imam is saying. Sometimes it's just a few words. Sometimes it's something that may look like it's trivial or simple, but it contains a lot more depth. Not everything can be said. So this applies to everything in life. Make sure you fully understand the answer that was given. Especially before you go and you act on it. Okay? Then the Imam says, وَإِذَا سُئِلَ مَسْؤُولٌ فَلْيَتَثَبَّتْ And let the one who answers be certain, be sure of the answer they are given. And this is what we said earlier. The Imam said that there is an answer that is given. Here he is adding, make sure that the answer that is given is sure. It's a certain, we have certainty about this answer. No doubt. If there's doubt, say, it goes back to the other rule that the imam gave earlier, which is, say, I don't know. And if you don't know, then don't be shy to go and learn. Go seek that knowledge. Don't answer. Okay, so certainty before answering and making sure that we understand the question, uh, the answer when it is given. Now we move on to sincerity. When we ask, let the ask, let the question, let the query be based on the right intent. Why am I asking this question? Am I really asking this question to learn, to become better? Or am I asking this question to show off my own knowledge? Or am I asking this question out of stubbornness? Am I asking this question so I can argue? Right? All of these are reasons. So we'll go through the general rule and then we're going to see some applications from Ahlul Bayt and the Holy Quran. So the Holy Prophet says, إِذَا قَعَدَ أَحَدُكُمْ إِلَىٰ أَخِيهِ فَلْيَسْأَلْهُ تَفَقُّهًا وَلَا يَسْأَلْهُ تَعَنُّتًا If one of you sits beside your brethren in faith, then let the question be asked for learning, for the sake of learning, tafaqquha, to acquire knowledge, and not out of stubbornness, not out of obstinacy. Okay, so there's a part of this that I think already when the, the Holy Prophet says it this way, I think the the first idea that comes to mind, the first image that comes to mind is someone who is going to a scholar to ask a question. So that might be the normal setting. You're going to the scholar to ask a question, so you're, they're answering you. So this applies. But the Holy Prophet did not present it that way, so it's more general than that. He's saying these are two brothers in faith. So it could apply to the scholar, but it also applies to everyone. Which in itself is an encouragement for people to discuss matters of religion when they sit with each other. Let the discussion be something useful. And of course, if it's a discussion and a back and forth and I want to know what you know and you want to know what I know, there's going to be questions. So this is the manners that the Holy Prophet wants to make sure that we're following. 
that let those questions be because you really want to learn and not because you are doing ta'annut, as the Holy Prophet says, stubbornness, obstinacy, causing trouble. Okay? That's first thing. The second thing is, therefore, what would happen if we miss out on this? Well, because there is a spiritual dimension that we talked a lot about when we talked about the importance of sincerity, intent, if you do not do this, therefore, there is no thawab. So by doing this, there is a thawab. There is a divine reward. You are now following the instructions of the Holy Prophet, and you are doing it as he said. You are sitting beside your brother, you are discussing things, and your questions are sincere. There is thawab that goes with that. If you do not, you miss out on the thawab. And in fact, there might be even a punishment, depending on the intent behind it. But certainly you are missing out on the thawab. That's the first layer. There's another layer to, to that though. If this is not done properly, and so this is the point that we're not going to repeat, but this applies to all the ahadith and to this reality. If the question is not asked with sincerity, what happens? So you miss out on the thawab, okay. Secondly, you miss out on the knowledge eventually. Because people are going to recognize the reason behind the question. You are going to miss out and you are most likely going to ruin a cycle of knowledge for others too. You're going to prevent the transmission of that knowledge with time because the questions you're asking are not sincere questions. And people recognize that. They will not want to answer you and you're probably going to disrupt the gatherings, the places you're in, and that cycle of knowledge stops. So there's a whole domino effect, a negative domino effect that you're causing. There's a, a spiritual component to this when you're bringing your ego into the equation. And there is a psychological component to this that you are being annoying with your questions. You're not being sincere. Not sincere in the spiritual sense. You're not being sincere in the intellectual sense. And this psychologically means that people are no longer interested in engaging with you or even engaging in that type of gathering. Okay, so this is the part that we're not going to repeat, but you're going to see that this is a theme repeated in the ahadith. The next hadith from the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he says, شِرَارُ النَّاسِ الَّذِينَ يَسْأَلُونَ عَنْ شِرَارِ الْمَسَائِلِ كَيْ يُغَلِّطُوا بِهَا الْعُلَمَاءِ The worst of people are the ones who ask about the worst of issues, or the, who ask the worst about the worst of matters. And then he says, why? Why do they do that? In order to make the scholars fall into mistakes. Okay, so there's a couple of things we can say here. But to start with, the tone of the Holy Prophet ﷺ is very harsh here. He says the worst of people. And we're talking about something that may sound like it's a detail. But the Holy Prophet says the worst of people. And this is because of the effects that we just described. The negative effects of such people go very far. And with time, there's a whole cycle of knowledge that stops happening in, in the community because of these unsincere, insincere questions that are being asked. Okay, and then the next question we may have is, but what makes it? What would make it the worst of matters? The Holy Prophet says, the worst of people are the ones who are asking about the worst of matters. So what makes it the worst of matters? 
Sometimes it's the content of the question. The substance of the question itself makes it the worst of matters. I ask a question about something, and I know that this is something extremely technical, extremely specialized, extremely controversial. There's a way and a time and a place to ask that question. Otherwise, it's disruptive. It's not the time or the place for that question. So it could be the content. That makes it the worst of things to ask about. It could be the manner in which it's asked. The content is fine. But the manner in which it's asked is clearly not. That's the second layer. The third layer, and perhaps this is the one that the Holy Prophet is talking about here more than the others, is the one that he is explaining in the hadith himself. He said, the worst of people are the ones who ask who ask about the worst of matters. And then he adds, why? In order to make the scholars fall into mistakes. So what's making it the worst of matters, so that I don't ask the worst of matters, I don't fall in this category, it's not the substance of my question. And it's not the how of my question. It's the intent of my question. That's what's going to make it the worst of matters. It's because my intent was to make this person fall on the mistake, to humiliate them, to show that they are not as knowledgeable as they are perceived to be or they claim to be or whatever it may be. Okay? Some concrete examples from the lives of Ahlul Bayt regarding this, how they apply this themselves. There's a first hadith. I'm not going to read the hadith. It's very long and in fact, I'm going to explain why I think it it's perhaps not as authentic as it may seem. But the content that is relevant to us, I think, is content that is repeated in many, many hadith. So it's still useful and relevant, even though the hadith itself may not be very authentic. So, fi hadith Abdullah bin Salam. So I'm going to come back to this name. Okay? Abdullah bin Salam. So there's a whole story about how this person, Abdullah bin Salam, he lived in amongst the Jews, he was one of the Jews living at the time of the Holy Prophet He speaks to the others about the Holy Prophet. He asks them, how come they're not believing in his prophethood and his mission? And then eventually he prepares himself and he comes to see the Holy Prophet with a number of questions. Okay, so the rest of the story is not relevant here. This is the part, the part that is more relevant. So when he comes to the Holy Prophet, he meets the Prophet for the first time. This is what the Holy Prophet tells him. See, he says, So he answers, we'll read, say it in English later, so before he starts asking the questions, the Holy Prophet wants to make sure that he understands the ramifications. That if you are asking and you are sincere in your asking, and you are truly seeking guidance, then this is going to be good for you, therefore ask. Otherwise, you know, I'm warning you, this is not 
something that you should be engaging in. And we're going to see that in other instances too. Okay, so that's the, the story. So Abdullah ibn Salam, after he spoke to the Jews of Khaybar, when he came to the Holy Prophet the Prophet met him, he spoke to the Holy Prophet, he told him, I'm here, I want to ask you some questions, I think you are of the you know, good people, and that's what I expect of you. So the Holy Prophet said, all praise be to God for all of his bounties. O Ibn Salam, have you come asking sincerely or out of obstinacy? He said, no, I have come asking sincerely, O Muhammad. He said, are you here asking for misguidance or for guidance? What are you seeking? And the Holy Prophet said, and the, uh, Ibn Salam said, No, I am here seeking guidance. So he said, Then ask whatever you want. And then he asked his questions. The, the part that we could say a lot here, but in, in quick summary, this hadith, as we said, is mentioned from Ibn Salam. In fact, Ibn Salam is the one who is re- reporting the hadith himself. This is not someone who is really mentioned anywhere else in our books. Okay, so this is kind of the main story that is mentioned about this man. And there is a huge difference about, there's a contradiction internally, even if you go back, that whether this happened at the very early stages when the Holy Prophet moved to Medina, or did it happen when he was still in Mecca, or the, at the very end of his mission, you know, year 8, year 7, 8, 9. Okay, there, is, there are contradictory parts to the story there, which is already problematic. Another problematic aspect is that this man is not really mentioned anywhere else except in the story, and of course he is praised afterwards. So people praise him because after he asked his questions, he accepted Islam, and it is said that he went and he preached Islam to others, trying to convert them and make them see the truth as he did. Okay? Where is the the glitch in the story? What's happening here? I'm not going to go into the details. The issue with this man is that there are a number of verses of the Qur'an that were revealed for Imam Ali in praise of Imam Ali And later, when you go through the books of tafsir, the Qur'anic commentary, you see that they are claiming that these verses were revealed about him, about Abdullah ibn Salam. Okay, so already when this happens, especially at the early stages of Islam, you should recognize a pattern. What's the pattern? The pattern that the role Muawiyah played and Bani Umayyah early, in the early stages of Islam played and how they did this with the traditions, with the narrations, especially that had to do with the Qur'an but not limited to the Qur'an. There's a pattern. What's the pattern? They, they try to remove, to take away any merits, any praise, any rank, any virtue, favor, of Ahl al-Bayt and give it to someone else. In this case, Abdullah ibn Salam, a Jew at that time, if this person existed, what is his big distinction? At the time of Muawiyah, he became a very close person to the rule of Muawiyah. And so this is a pattern that Muawiyah used to elevate and to give favors to those who were close to him and he would spend a lot of money and he would hire scholars he was willing to pay as much as it takes to someone who is recognized as a scholar he would give them as much money as it would be necessary for them to 
take a hadith that exists and change one detail in it, to change one name in it, to change one matter in it so that it becomes in praise of Muawiyah or someone who is praising Muawiyah, someone who is allying themselves with Muawiyah. And then therefore, the rule of Muawiyah looks like it's surrounded by people about whom God has revealed verses of the Qur'an, praising them, favoring them. And Ibn Salam definitely falls in this category. Okay? So as a person, there's a huge issue. Whether this happened or not, to me, because of the same terminology that you find in many other ahadith, the wording of the Holy Prophet that you find in other ahadith, I would say this most likely happened. There is someone from the Jews who would have come to the Holy Prophet and have this discussion and perhaps go back and try to preach and try to share the truth that he has now accepted. But it's most likely not this man. This is the part of the hadith that I reject or we, we probably should reject based on the, 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 the sciences of hadith. This is the part that is problematic. This person specifically, not the rest of the hadith. The rest of the hadith is a pattern that happened all the time. Okay, whether it was the Jews or the others. They would come to the Holy Prophet, they have questions, the questions are answered, and then they leave with the truth and they try to tell others that we have accepted this truth and you should too. And if you have questions, I can answer what you have in terms of questions or you, we go together to the Prophet so that he may answer those questions. Okay, so I'll stop here. I spoke a little bit too long about uh, Ibn Salam, but just so that in case this is a name that comes back again and again, especially with relation to certain verses of the Quran, so it's good to, to remember that name. The next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, So someone came to Imam Ali alayhi salam asking him about a puzzling, a difficult question. Okay, mu'adila is something that is difficult to answer. So the Imam told him, "Sell tafakkuha, wala tasal ta'annuta, fa inna al-jahil al-muta'allim shabihun bil-alim, wa inna al-alim al-muta'assif shabihun bil-jahil." And in one version, he adds, "Bil-jahil al-muta'annut." So there's a man who came to Imam Ali alayhi salam asking a very difficult question. So the Imam told him, "Ask out of knowledge seeking, and do not ask out of." Stubbornness. So that part is the same as we saw in the other ahadith. I always tell you guys, I build on the ahadith. Right? So that part is the same. What's new in this hadith? The imam says, for the ignorant person who is learning is like a scholar. Someone who has no knowledge. They are in a position of learning. So therefore, they are sincere as the, the hadith began with. They are truly seeking knowledge when they are a learner. When they ask, they are like a scholar. And the opposite. Someone who is a scholar, someone who has the knowledge, but they act with stubbornness, they are mutasif. The person, even though they have the knowledge, they are now like an ignorant person. So the criteria is not whether you have the knowledge or not. The person who does not have the knowledge is now like a scholar because of the sincerity they have in their knowledge seeking. And the person who has the knowledge has now become an ignorant person uh, as a result of their stubbornness or the manner in which they approach knowledge. 
And this also means in this hadith that this shows the Imam is not necessarily here talking about, you know, in the spiritual realm, in the unseen world, you know, before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's not talking about the intent. He's saying here, al This is something that people are able to see. Someone who is, who doesn't have the knowledge yet, they are a knowledge seeker, but they are sincere when they come and ask the question. People look at that person as a scholar. This is someone who's associated with knowledge. This is a scholar. They don't have the knowledge, but they are a scholar in the eyes of the people even. And the opposite, someone who has the knowledge, but they act with stubbornness, are now going, even in the eyes of the people, they are going to be considered as someone who is ignorant, as though they do not have the knowledge. Okay, so there is an even a social dimension to this. What really matters is not the knowledge you hold, it's what you're doing with it and how you're approaching things like the manner in which you ask a question. Are the questions being asked sincerely or are the questions being asked out of stubbornness? There's another detail we can add here sometimes when we're looking at the ahadith of the Holy Prophet or especially the imams and perhaps even more so the ahadith of Imam Ali salam, but many others. Of our, of our imams in many cases you see this kind of rebuke quick answer to them so this is someone we don't know what the question was but someone asked a difficult question why would the imam begin by saying this first he tells them ask the question sincerely and do not ask it out of stubbornness why would he say that why would he not just answer the question so this it may be a general piece of advice the imam is giving but we could bet without knowing much details that perhaps the imam is pointing out perhaps not such a wrong behavior as much as this is not someone in general who is sincere imam ali salam was surrounded by enemies his whole life and especially after the holy prophet people who were very close to him one way to tell people apart not for himself but to allow those around him to be able to tell people apart is when the imam gives these types of indications. He's saying, this person, when he asks me questions, they're not sincere. So, therefore, all you others, you heard what I just said. When you ask a question, make sure that you're seeking knowledge. You're not doing it out of another reason, an insincere reason. Okay, so the imam is giving a signal to everyone that this is not someone perhaps to be trusted to be considered a close companion, even though they are acting as though they are a scholar, they are close to the imam, they're associating with the imam for the sake of knowledge, and so on and so forth. And this happens in the case of a lot of our imams too. So sometimes we may wonder, why the harsh tone? Why the quick, fast uh, rebuke, whether the imams answer or not? And we're going to see a few others of those instances. The next hadith from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, سئل أبو عبد الله عليه السلام عن طعم الماء قال سل تفقها ولا تسأل تعنتها So you can imagine I always tell you guys as soon as you see the name of Imam Sadiq alayhi salam to me at least the by default the image that comes to mind is he is in a setting of teaching Imam Sadiq alayhi salam had that luxury that privilege of being able to set up or fully leverage 
conditions that allowed him to teach, to teach formally, to sit on a pulpit and teach. So you can imagine someone daring in that type of environment publicly when the imam is in a situation of answering questions, in a state of answering questions, that the question that this person asks is what? That's the hadith. Imam Sadiq was asked about the taste of water. What is the taste of water? So what did the imam answer? See, this is the, the type of rebuke that we said sometimes we see from the imams. He said, when you ask a question, ask it out of knowledge-seeking. And do not ask it out of obstinacy. But in this case, the imam actually answered the, the question. As silly or as stubborn as the question or insincere as the question was, the imam still went out of his way to answer the question. And most likely the answer is because this person is not asking because the imam is just, you know, Ja'far bin Muhammad al-Sadiq. He's asking because the imam is an imam. He's attacking his divine role, his claim to be a divine personality. So you know what? I'm going to ask you a question that you can't answer. And I'll show that you are not the divine representative that you claim to be. Right? This is the obstinacy. This is the stubbornness. So the imam, in this case, answers. Why? So that this is not used as an argument to say, therefore, he is not an imam. Even though the question is a silly question, the Imam still answered it. So he gave the general rule that you are not asking the question sincerely. You're asking the question out of stubbornness. But then he doesn't want to leave a pretext for someone to use that against Imam, against the Imam of the Imam. So he answered the question. What's the answer? What is the taste of water? The Imam said, the taste of water is the taste of life. And then he read the verse of the Qur'an that says, And we made from water every living thing. وَجَعَلْنَا مِنَ الْمَاءِ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ حَيٍ So the Imam answered with a eloquent and logical and I would say infinitely wise answer that perhaps only an Imam could answer. Otherwise, who could ever say the taste of water is? Water has no taste. That's the defining quality of the taste of water, that it has no taste. How do you describe it? You describe everything in relation to it. That becomes your criteria. The imam said the taste of water is the taste of life. We're two minutes away from the prayer, so inshallah we'll stop here and we'll continue the, the next time inshallah. We'll talk about the... So in addition to this, we'll talk about the effect of having true intentions or not. And then we'll talk about this idea of foolish inquiries, foolish questions, and we'll see a few examples of them. Perhaps one of them we'll see if we have time from the Holy Quran and others from the lives of Ahlul Bayt maybe one or two, and then we'll we'll keep going. Allahumma <laughs> Muhammad